Thank you. So nice to be here. I'm actually so thrilled to be here. I have uh, lived outside of Sweden for about 20 years, and then I moved back to Sweden, so I live here in Malmö. So it's fantastic to get on the bike, and within seven minutes I was here. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, so today I'm going to talk about the importance of making the invisible visible. And this is, of course, to create cities that prioritize well-being for human and non-humans. I think it's a very important thing to focus on when coming to wise cities to actually understand who is using the space, the urban space, the nature, and who is actually there to be invited to use it, who is included. So Gale is a company, we, have, we are making cities for people, planet and place, and we are sitting in three different places in the world. Uh, we have existed for over 20 years, but actually our, our methods were started already 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, by Jan Gale, who is the co-founder of Gale. So a lot of things you will see here today is actually from 50 years of research and now implemented in projects. So what we believe in is that the physical environment really affects people's behavior. And people's behavior actually affects physical space. It also affects the local ecosystem, which I think is more and more important because we're all here and it's holistic. We depend on nature, nature depends on us. It's all going together. And when coming to inviting people to be a part of the city, it's important to design invitations that make people choose the right thing or the healthy thing. So this is something we should think about. And an example that I always like to show is this one from San Diego in the States. I think this is a good example on what kind of behavior you invite for. When you come and you park your car, you take the escalator up and then you go and train and then back again. You can question whether this is the right invitation if you want to train. So how can we make the invisible visible to create better cities for human and non-humans? Um, we are working with the Galens. It's something that unfolds and unravels all the time, and it's something we do, especially in the research and development team. We try to combine a lot of data sets, a lot of data sets, but it's very important that it's both about belonging, how people feel, but also something about observational data. How do they move? Who, how do they stay? And when you then start to combine that with big data sets or like transportation data or something that can actually tell something about patterns, you start to have a very good picture on what's going on. The Public Life app is the one we use most. Uh, it's based on the 12 quality criteria, which, which we've been using again for 50 years. It's inclusive, qualitative, and it makes us able for us to see who matters. How can we actually count and see what matters. I've divided my talk into three parts. The first one is about turning data into stories. The second one is about belonging. And the third is about sound of happiness. The first one is actually an older project I want to show, and it's from Times Square, where we were asked to help uh, create a balance in mobility and try to see how we could make it more bike-friendly. When we started to to study the space, we realized that about 90% of the physical space were for cars and only 10% for people walking. But when you look at the life, over 90% was actually people walking and only 10% was car. So 
quite f soon we realized that there were no square on Times Square. So this is before, like here you can see, that's mostly taxis going through. And we were allowed to actually create this affordable pilot projects where we, together with the Department of Transportation in New York, could actually create this place to spend time and we could thrive and sit together and talk. And that affected the way that you all of a sudden see all of this sprawl of people uh, in Times Square. What is interesting with this project is that when you measure impact, when you do a pilot pro project and you measure it, you get a lot of data about what impact it actually has for people. So putting this up and seeing that it, there's actually a decrease in injuries, there's actually New Yorkers saying, it's a better place to be, I want to be here. And there's also an increase in this what we call stationary activity, so people staying. This can, of course, be used further on to more projects, and I think this is a way that we really like to work. Start small and then scale. So when we refine and test solution, uh, we, again, can accelerate this. And during the past seven years, there's actually 70 plazas around Manhattan that has been created in unutilized spaces. And now you can actually use this space for more, and especially after COVID, this is of course really, really important that you have nature green areas to go down to. The next part is about people's sense of belonging. Uh, I think it's very important when talking about multi-stakeholders. I actually don't know exactly where people are from here, but you can probably recognize yourself working with one approach or another. When you are trying to do urban projects, everyone that works with this know that it's kind of a process. It takes time. Uh, there's a lot of uh, acceptance that have to be done. There's, there's rules you have to follow. Um, but when everything comes around, to create something su successful, you need to understand the value of a place and the culture of a place. And I think this will take us far. This is an example from the Stanford School of Sustainability, uh, where we help, or are still helping, to create a vision that will guide design and programming of their, both the current but also their new uh, department. What is interesting here that they want to both work with the Stanford community, which they've done so far, but they also want to open up. They want to say, like, how about the neighbors? How can we actually open up, take away the fences, and invite people in. To do this project, we have developed uh, this tool that we call the iLevel City app. Uh, with this app, people can actually take photos, they can annotate them, they can tell us how they feel in that moment when, when they're standing out there. They can actually share their feelings about the place. We use this, we have used it in other ways too, also on longer processes, but in this specific process, we invited people for photo walks. So we invited people to, to go for 30 minutes and then they could take photos and they could annotate different experiences during this walk that then could be shared with us. So when we got the photo data and tags, we could all of a sudden see some pictures that were tagged as being more negative and some being more positive. And then we could start to see some patterns. For example, architecture were all often related to as negative and positive was often nature, for example, in the atmosphere. 
I will show you some more examples on what they took. But we had over a thousand photos afterwards. And everyone that maybe works with data here knows that photos is really hard to work with because you often tend to filter it and have subjectivity in it. So therefore, it's very important to, of course, treat them together with the annotations and what people are saying about them. So this is a kind of other way to work with data that takes a lot of focus. So um, mental well-being, architecture, physical comfort, and atmosphere were ranked. They were over 40% of the pictures had this uh, on. Then people that were part of these, the participants, they self-identified in different groups. So that's what we were looking at here to say people of colors, negative experience were mostly influenced by architecture, as you can see. They were very much with monumental and classic Stanford architecture, making people feel small and significant. We also had a group of LGBTQ people, and their most negative experiences was all often related to social exclusion, feeling outside. And I think this quote is good, that things that often make me feel unwelcome were elements that seemed to highlight the exclusivity or privacy of the campers. It made me feel like there were no sense of who the right and wrong people to be on the campus are. We could also see a pattern that we often see, a lack of people is unwelcoming. It kind of reflects something that I think Young Gale has always said, people want to be where people are. Um, empty places that doesn't have any social or any reason to be there are seen as unwelcome and is not being used. Monumentally makes some people feel un unwelcome. That's a general thing we saw on all the pictures. There is something with this monumental architecture that actually creates a division between people, which is very important to, of course, think about when wanting to invite more people in and create diversity. And then an interesting part was that, yes, nature is great, but something that is manicured and something that is more artificial is actually not that attractive for most people. So letting nature be wild, I think, is also a good thing to remember. I could talk much more about the belonging and understanding belonging. And uh, we did this big project about urban belonging that I recommend, urbanbelonging.com, that is very much about understanding who feels included in the city and who belongs in the city. Uh, so I recommend you to look at that. Due to time, I'm not going to talk about that today. The last one is sound of happiness. This is something that is also very difficult to work. I, I guess that's the thread in my presentation today, hard data to work with. Um, we have a huge challenge with that city is loud. Urban noise is a growing risk. It's actually bad for health. But at the same time, sound is not just noise. There are nuances to working with sound that are super important for us working with urban planning. Understand, it's not only about a decibel level, it's so much more. And these pictures are from COVID, and I think many of us could probably experience like the opera singers in Italy and so on. There was so much joy coming from sound and song that I think is worth embracing. So what we're working with at the moment, and we still don't have the answer how to work with this, but what we're trying to work with is how can we actually better understand the city at uh, air level? How can we actually understand to embrace the different senses more? 
Um, and I think, so, so this is from an uh, experiment we did where we actually gathered a lot of sound. It was just an experiment we did, uh, understanding how the census is core to how people experience the city. So there are like sounds coming in real time. Uh, this is of course recorded um, from all over the world. So we had like this online workshop where people were gathering this. Then we could visualize them and start to cluster them in different groups and say like, is there patterns compared to like which city you're in, which part of the world you're in, what kind of setting you're in, what context you're in, the feelings you have. So again, we try to annotate the pictures or the sound in this case to explore how subjective data can be used much more like something in projects to define projects. And sound is not only important when coming to creating good experiences, it's also about sound equity. It's about creating equitable spaces because there is a thread, there is a line between seeing a, high, a rising number of noise complaint and people moving away from areas. There was this great article last, uh, last year about why do rich people love quiet. So is silence a part of gentrification? And are we gonna allow that? Is that something we like to see our cities be quiet? Doesn't, don't we all love to go to cities where there's buzzing feeling of like vibrancy where sound is a big part? So this is very important to move on. It's important to keep the edge. It's important to actually highlight nuances. So ending my talk about, again, saying, for me, why cities is making invisible visible. It's super important to try to look behind, try to understand, and try to create invitation on that. It's about meeting humans and non-humans uh, on the ground and using a lot of different methods, a lot of data. You cannot base uh, recommendations or, or the understanding on one data set. It's very important to compare it with each other. Thank you for my time.